Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 91, the one about nailing virtual events, the hype about ChatGTP, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast and as always we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing and as always my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome all the way from France, Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. And you've just heard from my co-host, Roger Edwards, I'm on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the author of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. Fantastic, Pascal. This is episode 91. Every Nin- episode, we now creep closer to the magic episode 100. And we typically give people a quick, you know, uh, highlight to what we're going to talk about. But can I just go straight into film marketing? Yeah. Oh go my on. goodness! <laughs> we are at the time of recording. We're barely two weeks into the reveal of the title and the teaser trailer of the fifth instalment of the Indiana Jones franchise. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This is a first for us because typically when we review a film marketing campaign, Roger, we can either look back years, if not decades later. Sometimes we are a month into the campaign leading up to the premiere. This is just literally hot off the press. We're going to be reviewing merely a few months, but there's lots to talk about. And I apologize in advance. I think this could be a rather long film marketing no. segment. <laughs> Do you know, I, I just automatically assume that because the film is still seven months away, and the campaign had only just started, that actually we wouldn't have much to talk about other than a trailer and a few photographs. No, 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 no. Uh, not to mention the fact that this is could this is potentially a massive payoff and reward for the fans. Lots of mm. little nods to the earlier instalments in both the poster design and the trailer. But before we do so, shall we move on to In The News? Yeah, let's do that. Let's move on to In The News. <laughs> And we begin with travel company On The Beach, who claimed that its truly differentiated customer proposition, which includes free airport lounge access and fast-track security, has helped the brand capture a greater share of the premium market. The BBC is preparing to provide fewer linear broadcast services and a more tailored joined-up online offer by the 2030s, as Director General Tim Davey warns the UK media is in a real period of jeopardy. Well, it so happens that 43 million people watched three minutes or more of women's sport on linear TV this year. That's a record of 325 million hours viewed, according to new data from the Women's Sports Trust. The Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, has banned a BrewDog marketing email for misleading customers. The email claimed the brand's fruit-infused beers were one of your five a day. (laughs) Well, according to new research from the Chartered Institute of Marketing, almost half of the respondents are demanding changes to their working patterns to mitigate stress, whilst 52% say they fear burning out. Younger marketers are fearing burning out the most, with 59% saying it's a concern. Fenwick is set to close its 130-year-old central London department store. The building and its adjoining property has been sold to Lazari Investments and will close in 2024. The company says it's going ahead with the sale of its retail space to help fund investment in its online business and other stores. 
Mm, well, five companies have been fined a cumulative £435,000 after targeting adults over 60 with almost half a million marketing calls that broke the law as the call recipients were signed up to the telephone preference service. And finally, TikTok's advertising revenue is expected to have doubled in 2022, while its social media rivals have reported decreasing demand from advertisers this year. Maybe it's just the fact that everybody's moving away from Twitter, um, given what um, <laughs> Mr. Musk is up to. Now, Pascal, normally what I do um, when we've been through these news items is I usually highlight in red the three that I want to talk about. And even though I've done that, I actually do want to talk about one that I haven't highlighted in red because it sort of caught my eye again when we were reading through that. And that's this Brewdog advert that's mm. been banned by the Advertising Standards Authority. Now, on the one hand, yes, I agree, absolutely, we shouldn't have misleading advertising. But seriously, though, we know that Brewdog is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek brand. You know, they did a, a few uh, amusing um, adverts around the Qatar World Cup, which upset a few people. But do we seriously, seriously think that anybody genuinely believes that their <laughs> beers, because they've got fruit infused into them, could be counted as a, as one of your five a day fruits i mean how far does advertising need to go to be to, to protect customers from their own stupidity well i mean because ultimately i've not seen the advert in fairness so but that would actually prevent you from doing any form of work of fiction i mean thinking about the time of year we're recording this are you going to be stopped from doing christmas adverts with father christmas because that's misleading people in thinking that it's a real character and a real person um you're right it's almost as if people um you know working for the asa have missed the history of the brand which is about jokes which is about turning things upside down it is also about you know how they on occasion take on the codes and so on now there's been obviously uh, a time where bruder was making the headlines around staff dissatisfactions and, and the likes but my memory and and mentioned this brand many a time on the show is always about that tongue-in-cheek um approach and i think that's one of them so why it's then led to a ban um it's probably worth you know looking into the into the details more yeah, I mean, okay, let's just caveat it again. We don't think brands should be misleading their advertising. Um, and, I mean, in the in the past, you know, I, I, one of the most famous adverts was Mar a Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play. <laughs> and eventually, I think they had to stop using that strap line because, again, the advertising standards said, well, you can't actually prove that's actually the case. It's, it's just what you think. And... Okay, again, nobody truly believes that a can of beer is going to contribute towards your fruit intake. So I'm, I'm a bit torn about this one, but let's not labor the point. Um, five companies have been fined a staggering amount of money for targeting adults over the age of 60. Now, this is possibly where we do get into areas where companies and brands need to be clobbered, and, and they have been clobbered financially here. They're breaking the law by cold calling all of these people with half a million marketing calls when those people were actually signed up to the Telephone Preference Service. And for those of you who aren't in the UK, the Telephone Preference Service is a, basically a list you can apply to put your phone number on, which effectively makes it illegal for anybody to phone you on that number so you can't be cold called or well, that's the theory but as it says here five companies have been 
have been conducting over half a million marketing calls to people who had already uh, opted out of being targeted. So it just goes to show on the one hand, we're talking about a company doing a tongue in cheek advert, which we genuinely don't think would mislead anybody to hear companies genuinely are breaking the law in a pretty severe way by cold calling people who don't want to be cold called. Well, what is interesting is that the telephone preference service TPS is actually works really well. Mm. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't receive calls anymore. And part of that, so you've got two events here, you've got the access to the database. Yeah, you've got obviously the disregard of the TPS being ticked on that database, and kind of thinking, well, uh, it'll be worth annoying some because we may get some sales or it, it'll be worth the fine. But back to almost what we discussed last time in episode 90, it doesn't help actually with the reputation of marketing as a discipline, right? Mm. Mm. I think that, you know, we've said this on the show so many times that it's a privilege what we do, isn't it? as marketers to communicate with our target audience. We should never, ever abuse that privilege. Unfortunately, it seems that some companies do. Mm. And Fennec, this big building, this London department store closing so that they can reinvest the money into online businesses. This, this, this again, it's, it's, it's sort of sad, but also it's just part of the, the modern online world that we live in. Recently in Edinburgh, one of our flagship stores, Jenna's, um, is no longer open. Now, I, I was in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago having a wander around the Christmas market, and for the first time that I can never remember, Jenner's was boarded up. Jenner's had a reputation for having those amazing window displays. You know, everybody would come to see Jenner's every year because they would want to see what the window displays are going to be like. And then all of a sudden, here's the Jenner's building boarded up. Now, they are going to apparently turn it into a sort of combination of a hotel and an arcade. So it's not going to be closed completely. But this is a trend, isn't it? Again, of the online world that some of these magnificent department stores and and bricks and mortar buildings are no longer necessary. You're absolutely right. I, I am a digital marketer through and through. But that said, you know, as you read the news, I just felt like an incredible sense of nostalgia because I mm -hmm. visited the store uh, many times when I was working in London, living near, near the, the city centre. Oddly, on catch up, I watched the series that was based, you know, on on, on the story. Um, but for me, it's it's all part of the, the history. You know, we need to know where mm -hmm. we've come from to know where in which direction we're going. So, on one hand, you know, you could say, well, that's of the times, or you could point fingers and say they should have reacted quicker, they should have made a, an improvement. But the, the disappearance of the the evidence of where we've come from is what troubles me most. Um, so I'm glad to hear that they're going to retain, you know, its its location and potentially the name, and they're going to make, you know, use of the of the, the space, you know, very very differently. For for me, the, the um, what I see when I talk to my customers who work in B two C in particular is more also the the, the issue around skills and skill mm. shortage because mm. you no longer then have the platform for people to hone their skills from customer service point of view, from uh, retail, display, you know, everything you've mentioned um, in the real world, so to speak, so that you can uh, kind of bring that as transferable skills and know-how into the world of e-commerce. So the way which you, which the manner in which you would lay out a, a website arcs back to the way in which you put things on display in a window. So if this goes completely 
and give it 10, 20 years, when the new generation of um, you know, traders comes along, they have no basis to make th their decisions. And so that's where I consider myself to be slightly an anomaly because I love the traditional way of doing business as a source of inspiration for the online world. So if um, Jenners and Selfridges and many others disappear, where will people learn the arts and craft of their profession? Yeah, and you know we had this conversation during the pandemic as well that obviously city centres, which are usually where everybody goes to work, are effectively having to redefine themselves. And I just wonder whether, yes, they probably want to free up the money from this remarkable building and use that to invest into something online, but I wonder whether they tried hard enough to think of how they could have redefined the use of the building. Okay, the building might not need have needed to have had all the stock, but maybe, you know, some people still do like to go and browse, don't they? So maybe they could have done a better job of turning the building into a showcase for the goods. Maybe not having the stock there, people still have to um, order stuff online, but cater for or change the experience that people have of going into the store. Maybe turn it into a into a cultural centre or a or a, a big cafe or restaurant or something, and and retain mm. an image or, or 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 samples of what you're selling. But to get rid of it completely just seems to me to be saying, well, you know, that's the end of the high street. And I don't believe it is the end of the high street. I just think the high street needs to evolve. And I don't think a lot of people have put enough thought and work into what that evolution looks like. No, absolutely. And just to close on that, you know, if you think about back to the sense of history, it would make more sense for brands like Selfridges and many others to be leading the way when it comes to the online experience. Mm -hmm. And somehow they, they do not. And I, I think it's a real loss. It's, it's a real pity. Mm. But the high street, I'm sure, will continue. Um, Edinburgh's Christmas market was packed to the rafters, so people are still flocking to city centres, even if they might not be going into department stores as much as they used to in the past. So, Pascal, enough within the news. Some interesting stuff there. But I think it's time to move on now to our content spotlights. Well, in this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be a podcast, it could be a video, it could be an article from a magazine or an online magazine. So, Pascal, what have you got for us this week? So, this week it's an article. Uh, confession time. This is not the article I chosen originally, but when I saw this title, I had to demote the other one and choose this one instead. Title is as follows. Are Virtual Events Hurting Your Brand? by Shema Haider. This is, I think, a second or third appearance. The Content Spotlight founder and CEO of Zen Media, and she wrote this article for Inc.com. If I share with you the sub-headline, if you will, uh, of this article, I think you'll understand the, the threat through and the tone of the article she's written. Online events, key during the pandemic, need a makeover. Mm. And the timing could not be better. A, I've been very, very busy this month hosting uh, conferences, workshops, discussions, and so on. And Roger and I, uh, for viewers and listeners, we've been big advocates of hybrid events, you know, not just one or the other. We've been saying for a very long time now that the online experience should not be a less alternative to the in-person event. We've done all sorts of things to really promote the, the case for uh, online events to be uh, well-produced. And what Shema is warning people about is that uh, 
In general, there are many, many exceptions. And in fact, her article does a very good job to share that. You also share findings from a recent research and study um, sponsored by Air Meat, is that in general, people are either repeating the same formula over and over again, and we are now two years on uh, from the start of, of, of the pandemic, or they are simply guilty, and I have some sympathy for that, they're simply guilty of not putting enough prep in mm. because the impression that online events could give is that they don't require as much pre-event time and effort and budget than the in-person kind of version. So it's it's a warning. It's also a rallying call to really bang the drum for online stroke hybrid events. And I will leave people the pleasure of reading the article, but she's through her own conclusion and the review of recent study came up with seven areas where you would really want to invest time, effort, and money because you're going to get a maximum return on, on effort. So in terms of where you want to invest for that makeover to avoid essentially a sense of well, I've been there, done that before, particularly for, for the attendees, you want to look at where you might introduce some unique activities, particularly what is possible online compared to in person. So unique activity is number one. Number two, you have to have great content. That is so, so important. Number three, and I love you, um, wait for your reaction, Roger, a high energy host, <laughs> which would be important. Number four, personalized experiences for the attendees, seamless networking, compelling speakers, and finally, a truly immersive virtual environment. So with respect, just turning up to what somebody you know, do the best to stare at the webcam and present a few slides is not what we mean by putting together a virtual event. So immersive virtual environment uh, is important. Again, not a very long article to read, but one that is going to really make you think and one that with high command, you circle around the office. And um, Shema Haider's kind of uh, call to action, if you will, uh, Roger, is to get the team together, go through the article, and start to plan your event very, very differently. Because if you're not careful, people, the attendees, the organizers, and so on, are going to start to dismiss it uh, as something that is nowhere near as good as in person. Or they're going to start to use this phrase, which I detest, the Zoom fatigue. Yeah. There's not such a thing as Zoom fatigue. There is just bad event fatigue. That's why it's happening right now. Yeah, and now there's so much that resonates with me on this, Pascal. Um, as you know, I've just um, finished one of my uh, big conferences, Protection Review, which was in London at the Landmark Hotel just um, over a week ago. And we've tried doing online events during the pandemic, and we had a big success replicating a, a proportion of what we do in a live environment but we we did what a lot of the things that you and i've discussed here before we cut a lot of the online talks down to very short you know 10 minute segments so that there was constant change to keep people's attention but one of the things that really resonated with me going back to the live event in a real hotel with a real stage with a real um room is that yes virtual events work and we can create some great stuff if we follow the rules that you've been talking about here shared by uh, Sharma in her article but what I genuinely don't think now having done both virtual and live events is that you can ever truly 
replicate the magic that happens when real people get together during the coffee break, during the lunch break, in the pub afterwards, or if there's a dinner in the evening, at the dinner in the evening, or at the party afterwards, when people prompted by what they've heard from the speeches actually start throwing ideas around, counter ideas, you know, debating it. That's where those real magical conversations happen. And I just genuinely don't think that we can replicate that in an online environment. Yes and no. So, so what, you know, the article, you know, I've studied is what is unique to the in-person event and what is unique to the online environment? And there are things you can do in one environment and you can't in the other. And, and, and I think for me, is, is that, is that's the risk, isn't it? Is that people keep comparing in-person event and all the things you can do and say, well, you see, you can't do that online. So yeah. online is a yeah. lesser alternative. And that's the wrong conversation to be having. It's almost like saying to somebody, aha, you know, see, you can't get Spanish food in a French restaurant. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you, you know, so what, um, you know, we should be in a position to do now is look at both scenarios, get excited by both and kind of go to somebody. What we should do is have a program where we do in person, and we do it online. But the distinction and the differences are so clear to others that you can look forward to that diverse experience. And um, if I take you back to something that I know we've not mentioned on the uh, in the news, but the, the on the beach travel company, where not only do they have a package, but it's clearly defined and clearly communicated. Mm. And I think maybe, and you and I, you know, could could reflect on that for next year. Maybe it's about the labeling. You know, maybe it shouldn't be called an online event because then your mind is taken to going back to, well, I know what event means. Event means what you've just described a moment ago. But what are we saying about virtual experiences that are, are unique? You couldn't replicate it. You can't do this in person. Very good point. Very good point. <laughs> so what about yourself? What was your finding for the content spotlights? Well, this week, Pascal, I'm talking about another book. Yes, I do seem to have suddenly started reading more books and indeed listening to more books as well. I, uh, I've, I've had quite a few um, audible books um, in my earbuds recently. But this week, I want to talk about a book by a gentleman called Austin Cleon. I think that's how you pronounce it. K-L-E-O-N, Cleon. Austin Cleon has written a book called Show Your Work. Now, this guy has written a few books of a similar vein, and they're quite short. This is just over 100 pages long, so it's quite possible that you could polish this off in, a, in half an afternoon or half an evening. It's very easy to read. It's short and it's snappy and it's simple, just like you and I like it, with lots and lots of examples. Now, his previous book was interesting in that it encouraged people to steal other people's ideas. Now, given what we said at the top of the show today about integrity and something like that, you might think, well, hold on a second. Is that actually a really uh, you know, good thing to do, steal other people's ideas? But actually, if you think about it, 
that's sort of what happens in all lines of business, isn't it? You know, somebody will come up with an idea, the pioneer will come up with an idea, and then somebody else comes along and does a slightly better version of it or reinvents it in a slightly different way. And you, you see that throughout history. You know, the original Model T Ford was very successful, but many other cars came after it. Low-cost airlines, you know, the first one, Southwest Airlines in the United States, rapidly followed by iterations across Europe like EasyJet, Ryanair. So somebody has an idea and then somebody else steals it or modifies it. So his previous book was all about having a look at uh, how you can get good ideas from other people and then actually build upon them. This book, though, in a similar way is sort of saying, how can you increase your online presence by showing people what you do? Now, what he's not really saying here is if you are a uh, cupcake manufacturer or you are a car manufacturer, it's not just a question of posting photographs of your cupcakes or posting photographs of your cars. It's actually showing all the aspects of your work. And that means going behind the scenes and creating little videos, maybe TikToks or maybe Reels or more in-depth videos for, for YouTube. Or it could just be um, instead of showing the cupcake finished, do a recipe video. Now, this might sound like the bleeding obvious, Pascal, but when you read this book and he, and he, and he just goes through these quick-fire examples, you think, do you know what? I very rarely actually do this still. I'm, you know, I'm always promoting the content. I'm always saying, here's the article I've written. Here's the video I've recorded. Here's the podcast I've recorded. I very rarely actually say, this is how I recorded the podcast, or this is how I made the video. This is how I wrote the article. This is the process that I go through when I write, write an article. This is the process I go through when I make a video. Now, you and I have talked about such things on the show, um, but this book is a real wake-up call for saying, Tell people how you do things as well as tell people what you do. Because if you do that, they, they're going to get to know you in a different way than if you're just coming across as somebody pushing product all the time. And sometimes it can be fascinating to go behind the scenes. And it might sound a bit boring. Well, if I share my process for going through an article, which might be, well, I'll, I'll come up with a, um, a topic, I'll research the topic, then I'll write it, then I'll edit it, then I'll find a title, whatever it might be. But some people will, will gain from that because they'll learn about your process. And I think, and I don't, and I, I'm embarrassed to quote him, but didn't Gary Vaynerchuk once say, document, don't create? Because a lot of the time he said, if you should just document what you do, you're actually creating better content than you would if you focused on actually creating content. So probably don't want to say much more on this except just a few chapter headings. As I say, it's a very short book, 126 pages, in fact, on the Kindle there. And again, it's thinking about the process, not the product. Share something small every day. Something, you know, like, like I've said, this is part of my process. This is where I get my ideas from. This is how I go about writing an article. As you would expect, chapter five, 
tell good stories. There's an absolutely fascinating example in there, which I'd love to tell you about, but we haven't really got time for it. So please do read this book and go and read chapter five and just love it for the fact that he talks about um, stories. There's also a few warnings in there. You know, don't turn into human spam. Um, you know, you'll have to you'll have to get knocked down sometimes. You might f share something that people might think is the bleeding obvious, or they think, well, why are, you, why are you doing that? But eventually, people will get to know you a lot better, and they'll doubly get to appreciate you for the ultimate products that you provide if you give them much more of an insight into how you go about doing your work. Thank you so much. Isn't that just fascinating that suddenly I, and I'm sure it's the case for many of our viewers and listeners, I can never tire of hearing a different perspective mm. on st storytelling mm. and reminders of really sensible, practical stuff. But we live such a busy life and we are just consuming so much content. Sometimes you need someone like, you know, this to ask you to pose for a moment. I think the appeal of something that is short that could be read over a weekend and you can take action was kind of almost survival guide or field expedition guide, you know, a style. And show your work. I mean, what an amazing title. Yes. So your quote for Gavin Chuck is spot on. That's exactly what he said. You know, document or comment. Don't always think you have to create something new, but document your your kind of uh, the inner workings of your organization. The things that I would uh, add to that in terms of um, – my own work. I sometimes will say, and this morning I was giving some coaching on video marketing and the tension of, really, you want me to video this and, and publishing? Who's going to care? And the reminder that your ordinary is someone else's extraordinary, mm, mm. and and that's really important. What what is what we take as our day job, and you know, so what's the point of me sharing how I plan an article? Would really be quite a revelation for somebody else because of our, of our expertise. And how do you do what you do? It's the question that I ask during my workshop, which is akin to you know, show your work. How do you do what you do? When we follow your advice you know, and, and that of um, Austin as well, it helps us move away from sharing statements to sharing stories. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what's so exciting about this book. So thank you. I've been struggling to put together a Christmas list, by the way, because my family keeps asking me, what do I want? <laughs> so this is now the second book I can add to that. Thank you so very much, Roger. No problem at all. So, Pascal, we are going to move on now to our marketing tech and apps section. And this week, it's going to be slightly different. So, Pascal, normally in this part of the show, you and I bring to the table a couple of apps that we've been discovered during the week, and we share those apps and we just debate them as normal. Now, interestingly enough, in the past, you and I have often inadvertently or serendipitously chosen similar apps or similar topics at least, but this week we actually went and chose exactly the same app that we wanted to talk about now it's funny because i came along to the show notes page last night on on the OneDrive, and i copied and pasted that i, I got in a word document typed it in press pe um the um, paste button and just corrected a few bits of um, punctuation and that's when i just looked below it and thought uh-oh here's pascal and he's done exactly the same in fact the the urls that you pasted in are exactly the two URLs that I pasted. And that was when I thought, you know what, we are going to have to talk about the same thing this week, because we've obviously 
homed in on this together as being a very important topic. So Pascal, this week we're going to talk about chat GPT. What do you think about chat GPT? Yeah, so the reason it was chosen is both because this was making the headlines in the UK, the US and in France at the same time, you know, those massive PR push. In fact, I think people crashed the site for a few hours and they had to add to the server capacity. So the AI driven chatbot developed by OpenAI, where you can use normal day to day conversation to ask questions and also give instructions about how the answers, you know, can be shaped. So uh, I've spent an entire morning, in fact, my line in the show is my morning with chat GPT. And this is where I'm left with. I, I think that generally I'm going to have to take issue with the media and the consultants who have been describing this as a way to cheat and create content for your blogs and this and the other. Because I think that this is actually so short-sighted and doing a disservice to the amazing work of OpenAI. I think this is essentially a different way of learning, a different way of being reminded of, about knowledge, where you ask a question in plain English. You can even give um, instructions as to how you want the answers to be shaped. It could be in the shape of an essay, of a song, of a poem, and you can have fun with that. But what I found is that I was taking pleasure in reading the answer as it was showing itself as text um, in conversation style. And, and I was thinking that would be amazing if, that's uh, not if, when you have a reader, so for people who need to be able to listen to the answer because they can't read and so on, this is going to be such an enjoyable experience. So at first I was dismissive on this idea of, you know, the cheat, the hack. This is how content marketing is going. And I thought, actually, people who were writing this, the articles of that time have missed a point completely. This is lazy journalism. Mm. This is actually a different way to be reminded of information that, you know, you know already or to learn something brand new. Now, my take when I first saw this, and, and as you know, and I've, I've spoken about this in Marketing Tech and Apps recently, is I've tested out a few of these AI content generators. You know, write me an article on marketing strategy or write me an article on airlines or write me an article on whatever it might be. And I've been very disappointed with some of the resultant content. And I'd previously come to the conclusion that actually these AI content generators are so far away from where they need to be that us humans don't actually need to worry too much yet. Having said that, when I saw and started playing around with ChatGPT, I immediately found that the, the content it was creating felt a lot more accessible because maybe it's in that chatty style and, and it's very simple. And as you say, you can define, you know, write me an article about marketing in the in the shape of a Shakespeare sonnet and it'll do a pretty good job. Uh, you know, write me a, a poem about a marketing guy called Pascal and it will do that in a poem. And, and I loved that and I thought, wow, maybe I was a bit wrong in the past about you know, the ability of AI to create something new like this. And, and actually, maybe for the first time, me as a content creator is feeling a little bit, ooh, you know, maybe this is going to be a bit more of a threat. But what I then started to do was 
to dig a little bit deeper. So like write me an article in 500 words about marketing strategy, which it duly did. And as you can, as you know, at the end of it, Pascal, it says you can try again. Now I tried the same thing about five different times for a, a marketing strategy article and it gave me a different article every time. So that was a good thing, but it was all pretty much the same, extremely generic stuff. It didn't really go into any detail. It was very gray. It was very mediocre, dare I say. And I then felt a little bit more like I did before that me, the human being, wasn't under threat here. Maybe chat GPT would come up with a better baseline for an article, which I could then add my personality in and add a lot more detail, maybe some more up-to-date statistics, which I think the other AI that I've played with couldn't do. But I still think that what we've got here, whilst the interface might be quite fun, and it is really interesting to get it to write an article about a cat driving a train or something like that, I still think we've still got a long way to go when it comes to long-form content. Hence why I took issue with the headlines and the, and the media and yeah. you know the, the, the consultants out thinking, you are misrepresenting, talking about misleading people, you are mm -hmm. misrepresenting and misinforming people. This is not about cheating and writing text. This is about learning you know, top level information. This mm -hmm. is essentially the two options. Do you want to go on Google, Yahoo and Bing and sort it out for yourself? Or do you want to have someone, you know, literally a chat that line by line reminds you of, uh, I did a search, uh, Roger, on the history of the internet and there was mm -hmm. stuff I'd forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And it was fun to see the information presenting itself uh, and so on. I would agree with you. The, I think it was um, Mark Asquith, one of the people from Captivate, who said he reminded him of someone from university who copied and pasted stuff from from the from online to try and pretend that was their work because it's yeah it is very very great. There's no storytelling. There's no warmth. There's no anecdote. One thing that I learned you know, through my uh, attempts, you can specify please add quotes or stats from experts and they'll mm -hmm. do that but i have found the stats to be old-ish as in they don't seem to have any anything beyond 2018 20 mm -hmm. to kind of interesting so then i had a chat with chat gpt asking well where are you from where are you doing this one so i got some interesting answers and i said to him you know where do you get the information from for your response uh, um, response because i did uh, write an article about pascal fintoni and according to chat gpt i am a singer from <laughs> that was born in barcelona so you know and um basically um the reply was that this is a bad natural language that is taken from training data. Mm. So that the, the essence being that the op uh, OpenAI team has been training ChatGPT. Every time we use uh, the platform and react and respond and so on, it learns as well. But it is not getting its information from the internet. It is getting this information from a data set mm. that has been obviously put together by OpenAI. Um, then I thought, hmm, you know, I wonder if I could ask Chat GPT to write a song about Roger Edwards. <laughs> because you, I know that you love music, your knowledge of music just absolutely is absolutely incredible. So I say, write a short song about Roger Edwards, the founder and owner of Roger Edwards Marketing. And this is what I got back from Chat GPT. Roger Edwards was a man with a dream. 
to build a marketing firm that was supreme. <laughs> he started small with just a desk and a chair, but soon his clients came from far and wide. They were all aware of the excellent work he did with strategy and flair. Despite the challenges he faced along the way, Roger never wavered. He kept pushing every day. And now his legacy lives on in the work of his team who continue to provide top-notch marketing services, all part of the dream that Roger had all those years ago. Set to the music of Genesis, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I did a similar thing, which I didn't say. Um, write me a story about a marketing guy called Pascal Fintoni. I shall, I shall finish this off, though, by just a, an interesting little segue. I did come across an article in Marketing Week about chat GPT, and you know who I'm going to say wrote this, don't you? Mark Ritson wrote an article wow. about chat G GPT, and he is saying, because... You know, some people have said this will replace Google. Uh, and his, his argument in the article is, no, this won't replace Google. Google might actually start using something like this or maybe even buy it eventually and use it because it's a lovely interface. And wouldn't it be nice for if you did a Google search, it sort of talked to you like, the, like ChatGPT did. But Mark Ritter says, no, Google is too well established and has fingers in so many pies like email and presentations and local search and this, that and the other. It won't replace Google. But but then the byline at the bottom of the article was the best thing. It just said, I'm not going to tell you whether this article was actually written by Mark Ritson or whether Mark Ritson just told ChatGPT to write an article about ChatGPT in the style of Mark Ritson, which I thought was very, very clever way to sign off the article. So uh, no doubt we, we could talk a little bit more about ChatGPT for the rest of the afternoon, Pascal, but I think we've got to go back in time now. We've got to set the controls of the TARDIS, fire up the flux capacitor and head back to this week in history. In 1974, disaster film The Towering Inferno, starring Steve McQueen and Paul Newman, is released. The score was composed and conducted by a certain John Williams. In 1977, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Richard Dreyfus, Melinda Dillon, Bob Balaban and Francois Truffaut opens in 270 theatres across the US. Do, 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 do. And that same year, the Queen unveils the new underground link from central London to Heathrow, the first from the capital city to its major airport. And this year, the Elizabeth Line opened, making the journey even easier. And in 2011, Google Buzz is discontinued and replaced by Google Plus. In 2017, AIM, the AOL instant messenger, is shut down. And in 2019, Yahoo announces that Yahoo Groups will no longer be supported. Just goes to show tech comes and goes. Pascal, can I go back to 1977, not to Close Encounters, but to that underground link between London and Heathrow, because I just find this whole thing really fascinating. I've always been a little bit of a train geek, and <laughs> I have to say that I spent the good part of 10 years in the early part of my career going to London at least twice a week, flying down from Edinburgh to Heathrow Airport, and 
getting on the Piccadilly line at at, um, Heathrow, and then it would take a good hour and 20, an hour and a half to get from Heathrow to Bank Station, which is where the, um, the office that I used to work out of was located. So all in all, that was quite a harrowing journey to do because of the flying down and the hanging about, and then that clanky tube journey taking so long. Then, of course... At the beginning, the end of the 90s, along came something called the Heathrow Express, which was a hell of a lot better. Um, It would take you from Heathrow to Paddington Station within 15 minutes, and that made a significant improvement to the journey to London. Having said that, you would still then have to get from Paddington Station on the tube whether it was the Bakerloo line or the Jubilee, whatever, to get to your final destination. And by this time, of course, you could then start flying into London from EasyJet down into Stansted or Luton or to Gatwick and then into City. So it becomes a little bit less of a of a moot point. But last week, for the first time, I went to Heathrow and got the new Elizabeth line from Heathrow Terminal 5. It also goes from Terminal 4 as well, right the way into central London through Paddington Station into central London, and I ended up getting off at Tottenham Court Road, which is absolutely bang centre of London. So for the first time since 1977, when the Queen originally opened the first underground link, now you can finally do something really quick. I think it took about 25 minutes to go from Heathrow to to, um, Tottenham Court Road. And it was so comfortable because these are really modern trains, um, very smooth. They a very long trains as well in fact the stations pascal are almost double the length of a normal underground station and when i got on the train at heathrow i deliberately walked all the way to the front of the train it took me a good five minutes to do that that walk to the front of the train and when you get on the train and look back from the front there's no the carriages are open all the way through so there's no little interconnecting wow. doors they are as wide at the 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 the, the joiny bit i can't remember what the joiny bit's called you know what i mean though so you can literally it's like looking into one of those infinity mirrors directly down and it was just phenomenal and within 25 minutes i was at tottenham court road so wow what this is what happens in 50 years you just cannot, you know, underplay convenience and, and access. And I remember no. in my younger days working in travel and discussing, you know, with airports, their need and them fighting and pleading with governments and local governments about connections, whether it was the underground, whether it was the bus and so on. You've got to, I mean, I will literally choose an airport on the basis of that connection. Can I just go from the terminal to a train or another to get into where I need to be? Remember once I... Got so lucky, I managed to get a train from Brittany well, some time ago, all the way to Charles de Gaulle Terminal 3 to then fly into London. And just the avoidance of having to kind of you know hop on something to then go into another one is just so, so important. And, and you can translate that to, to the online world. For me, the, the, the item, the historical item that I wanted to kind of quickly reflect on is what you read out about Google Buzz, Google Plus, AIM. Um, Yahoo group, and you could add a few to those. And so I I love to try things out. I mean, I was on Google Buzz when it started. I was certainly on Google Plus. I used to have training courses on Google Plus. And it's just this reflection of why is it that those networks have not worked when others have, you know, like who can 
quote Facebook and TikTok and the other. So I've been reflecting on it. I've been researching. I did ask Chat GPT about <laughs> it, and it would seem that potentially this is a potentially the reason why um, those that you've named have not worked is that uh, ability for them to be used well and for this to be a good experience on a mobile phone. Mm. It seems to have been one of the many kind of uh, you know um, challenges that they didn't seem to to cover. Uh, but I was certainly was very fond of Google Plus. Uh, you know, going back to 2016, 15, when I had my courses and do you remember the Google Circles and all that yes. kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just they, they they go and when they go, I mean, literally, you get an announcement. That's it. We're going to discontinue. Uh, download your data now or else. And I was in Yahoo groups with my family, uh, AIM. I, you know, it, it, I was surprised though. I mean, I didn't realize that it'd been uh, that late. I thought AIM had been discontinued way before 2017. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I, I was the same as you, Google Plus. I remember a very famous content creator. I will not name him because it probably sounds a bit embarrassing, but a very famous content creator. I remember him doing a very early YouTube video saying a lot of people are on Facebook, a lot of people are on LinkedIn, but I believe the future is Google Plus and I am going all in on Google Plus. And he did. He went all in on Google Plus and six months later, it had all gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. But, you, you know, our, our world you know, of digital marketing is about this ability to um what's the expression you know fell fast mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. uh, i mean you know we uh, i mean that was never our decision to kill yahoo groups and, and all the others but they, they tend to do that and yeah it's just it's just fascinating um you know to kind of see how because of good marketing the early days of a platform let's use google plus again there's a real sense of excitement I must confess, over the years, Roger, I've learned to be just a bit more patient. Yes. Uh, and kind of go, well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but by all means, let's, let's test. Let's push. <laughs> let's find out, be more about it. But don't be surprised if within a two, three years, if, if not sooner, it goes. Absolutely right. Okay, Pascal, let's bring ourselves right back up to date now. And we're going to head into the next section of the show. And that is our creators' shout outs. Okay, Pascal, who are you going to give a shout out to this week? Oh, listen, I'm really, really pleased about this inclusion this week. Moira Barnes, sales strategist and coach, is currently, as we are um, recording this and publishing it, hosting the 12 sales tips in 12 days. Arcing back to the 12 days of Christmas, how to sell in a recession. So what she's doing is over the next 12 days, today being episode number three, when she's traveling, which is lovely, so literally she's in different locations uh, all the time, she spends 10 minutes a day telling you about, you know, literally how to set up your sales strategy and approach for next year and literally being a, be able to sell smarter in 2023. So... Um, what I like about it is the brevity, so it's a challenge. We all know that, you know, 10 minutes on the specific questions, but these are their practical, uh, you know, achievable tips. You don't have to be, to be an expert, but uh, perhaps, you know, it uh, was in the intention, but the element of changing location every day is a wonderful part of the storytelling and the backdrop, you know, that every time is, is a bit different. So, so far, she's done episode one. 
uh, setting the, the scene, you know, how to thrive during a recession. Uh, episode two was about how to make the sale all about your customers. Roger, going to love this one. And today was how to spot when your customer is ready to buy. So these are just nine out of the 12 sales tips in 12 days. I love it when people do things like this. I mean, again, it creates that, um, it's that sort of like an ongoing listicle, isn't it? But there's the anticipation of what's next. But you can always see that there's a destination in 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 hand as well, which, which gives you that extra um, motivation to stick with it. Now, my create a shout out this week i have to apologize pascal normally we do try to go for people who we sort of know or people who are within our our um, immediate marketing circle but this week um ironically when i was looking at that article i'd referred to earlier by mark ritson i came across this week's marketoonist um, cartoon from Tom Fishburne and this one absolutely made me wet myself rolling around on the floor laughing my head off sort of thing if you like and it is one of those cartoons that you don't even need to see the cartoon to get it so here's the here's a scenario Tom Fishburne has drawn a picture of executives sat round a table in a boardroom and one of the people sat round the table in the boardroom is describing the marketing plan and the words are our marketing plan is simple we just need to focus our crm and cms on abm for higher clv and lower cac whilst ab testing our cta and ux for cro and hope we get from W-O-M, but don't ask me about R-O-I. And then one of the other guys at the back of the room goes, W-T-F. And I mean, that just, oh, it was, it just sums up everything that I fought against in my career of trying to fight complexity in marketing. All those three letter acronyms absolutely just highlights where it can be so tom thank you for giving me a big laugh what i did find was really funny is that uh, in the comments section below somebody had actually taken the trouble of spelling out what all of those three letter acronyms meant which sort of underlies the point even more doesn't it uh, do you know what? For people who think that both Roger Selection and the Caltonists have gone too far, no, they have not. I have witnessed this happening in meetings, whether in person or on the Zoom call. And I remember when the um, the consultant left the, the Zoom call, I was left with a client who just went WTF. To, <laughs> so, so yes, oh, this is beautiful. Well done. <laughs> All right, Pascal, we've been building up to this moment throughout the whole of the show you teased it well in the introduction this week's film marketing is about to break well pascal less than two weeks ago a trailer dropped for a new film which is going to be released in the summer of 2023 a film that i never ever thought would ever get made the fifth Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones 5, The Dial of Destiny. Let's have a look at the first teaser trailer. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And I miss waking up every morning wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. 
believe in magic. But a few times in my life, I've seen things. Things I can't explain. And I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. I'm her godfather. Get back. Oh, Pascal. The imagery, the fedora, the whip, the music. What do you think? I'm actually quite emotional. Uh, yeah. I watched this teaser trailer a lot. Yeah. And do you know when you hear the, the piano, the piano chord, sorry, being played, but very slowly, there's someone, mm. some, something melancholic about mm. it. And then when you realize that this is it, this is the last one with Harrison Ford. This is also the last film scored by John Williams, mm -hmm. who essentially retired um, last year. This is the last one that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg will be involved in as exec producer. Uh, to me, this is like the end of an era. So I, I just find myself to be quite emotional watching this, coupled with a sense of dread of thinking, please, please don't mess it up. <laughs> well, that is the whole big thing, isn't it? Because like everybody, I was an absolutely massive fan of the first three films. I thought the fourth one was a bit of a miss. Mm. I mean, it was entertaining. It was good. It was good fun and, uh, you know, action packed, but it just didn't quite have the magic to me of the first three. What I am hoping with this one is that they will not make similar mistakes and they will be able to recapture, you know, the, the epic scale, the humor, the storytelling and the action of those original three films. But I have to say, I'm a little bit concerned because, you know, let's face it, hats off to him, no pun intended. Our uh, Harrison is not exactly a spring chicken, is he? He must be in his late 70s, maybe even his early 80s now. Is it realistic to expect Indy jumping around and swinging off um, chandeliers and driving motorbikes and elephants and goodness knows what? How far are we going to be having our you know expectations stretched here or will they compensate for his age like they did in the the fourth movie by having a the sort of a, the younger indie if you like although that younger indie doesn't seem to be part of the cast so i don't know where that's going to go yeah no it's, it's a tough one uh, for me um we will talk about the marketing very soon viewers and listeners yeah. <laughs> but for me it's 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 the um i still have with me and is the case the disappointment of course of the last three installments of star wars mm. where there was this hijacking of the franchise and our beloved characters mm. to introduce the next generation and so we know from the teaser and from the very very short synopsis that you know in addition to indie we have is a goddaughter who yes. essentially <laughs> is going to be the new generation but what i'm saying and um, you know with complete humility to the filmmakers don't make it about her uh, with respect 
we're not there yet. We, you know, make it for episode number, um, installment number six could be about her. Mm, but, you mm. know, please make this about um, Indiana Jones and Salah and all the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, please don't kill him at the end of the film like you've done with all the others. You know, <laughs> that's not really what we want to see here. And what we need is a summer blockbuster where the whole family can go in and essentially follow a treasure hunt you know we need the um, dark cave we need the traps we need the, the potentially the monsters the tribes and so and the threats and so on i love the storyline i have to say i have more faith in this one than the kingdom of the crystal skull mm-hmm. although of course raiders would always be my favorite this idea of the you know the space race you know the um using nazi engineers and and scientists to help the us and so on and that all that backdrop i find the storyline uh, a lot more interesting and to your point about your wish list i think that is a trailer seems to suggest that they have got all the components right for for this film yeah and that's what i'm hoping is going to be the case so so earlier when we were introducing this right at the beginning of the show pascal i was actually quite surprised when you said there's a hell of a lot of marketing already happened because obviously the teaser trailer's only been out for a couple of weeks and I've seen a few posters and I've seen a few um, tweets but I think your research has shown that there's a hell of a lot more to talk about. Yeah, so the three elements, I mean, to begin with, uh, just for for ourselves, I made the list of um, the online platforms. So there's a official Facebook page, and there's an official Twitter account, there's an official Instagram, there's Lucasfilm, who seems mm-hmm. to take the lead with regard to the teaser trailer. There is a hashtag, of course, Indiana Jones. There isn't a website, though. In fact, <laughs> when you type in, or when you click on the link that reads IndianaJones.com, it takes you to the Facebook page. So I've been wondering whether this is a temporary measure until mm-hmm. they get the mm-hmm. official website sorted, Although that feels a little late now. So what's your view on that? Well, I mean, again, there must be a website on its way. (laughs) There must be. I mean, you couldn't possibly not have a website. But, you know, again, maybe, you know, they've decided that social media is the way and that people don't want websites. But if they're going to be producing, you know, a whole series of different forms of content from posters to TV spots to full, fully-fledged trailers, and I'm sure there'll be some very interesting treasure hunty type games going on at some oh, point please. coming along. So a website, to me, would be the absolute essential hub for an indie marketing campaign. Mm, for people listening from Lucasfilm and Walt Disney Studios, Roger and I would be more than happy to take the lead on the website design and management. So, so that was me. So then you have what I've called um, Roger the unofficial teaser campaign. So filming started in 2021, the summer of 2021. One thing I didn't know at all, actually, when I did the research, is that this film was originally perhaps it was ambitious, um, planned for 2019. Wow. They wanted to try and coincide it with the 50-year anniversary of Lucasfilm, and then we know what happened, you know, uh, obviously then that time. So they filmed between the summer 2021 to the spring of 22, and people in the UK were treated with many um, kind of appearances and sites of Harrison Ford and cast and crew across the UK and Scotland. They also filmed in Italy and Morocco, of course, uh, sets, you know, and primarily in the UK uh, as well. So you had actually quite an extensive coverage in the press, TV and radio, nothing from the official kind of channels of Lucasfilm and Walt Disney, but certainly fans and the media uh, kept sharing pictures of filming taking part. Yeah. Um, 
I shared with you back in the days that there was a break during the lockdown measures during the pandemic. So we went up to Bamborough Castle. Mm. And when we arrived, Bamborough Castle was closed because of filming. <laughs> and I was maybe the only person that was pleased about it. <laughs> Everybody else was fed up. <laughs> So, I mean, literally people were spotting Harrison Ford cycling in North Shields and some parts of Scotland. Uh, I was so, so jealous. But moving on to the official teaser campaign. So no surprise there. The, the, this one started during Star Wars celebration, 26 May 2022. In addition to talking about and answering questions about Star Wars and the franchise, Harrison Ford was on stage to introduce the very first official image. Can you imagine just an image? Just an image. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the fans. Uh, it's been seen before, but you, you're very good at this, actually, Roger. Would you mind describing the image to our, particularly to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, you've got the silhouette of Indiana Jones walking across what looks like an extremely dodgy rope bridge <laughs> in, the in the middle of a very dark cavern, but his uh, silhouette is illuminated by a shaft of sunlight beaming down from the heavens, and he's just getting, getting these feet to the edge of this rope bridge i.e. getting to safety, but you would have imagined that at any moment this rope bridge could come clattering down. Or indeed, again, he may just be freeze-framed. He might even have been running. And if the camera pans out from this, there may be a horde of swordsmen chasing him across <laughs> the rope bridge. Who knows? But to your point, it's it's so incredibly simple, but so evocative. Yes. And and everything is there. The the sense of, of, of threat, of jeopardy, dark caves, treasure hunting, you know, on the that's around the corner. Uh, what is really um bittersweet as well about the Star Wars celebration of May is they were celebrating the nature of anniversary uh, birthday um, mm -hmm. of John Williams. John Williams also played a brand new score, which is um, the theme of Elena, mm -hmm. who is uh, Indiana Jones' uh, goddaughter. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time on stage, um, John Williams said, this is it. I'm now um, going to retire. This is my last contribution to the world of cinema. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just get very emotional thinking about it. So many amazing scores for so many amazing films over the year. But then, you know, he's 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 put the time in, hasn't he? I think he probably deserves <laughs> to have a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a rest in his twilight years. No, absolutely. I mean, one of my biggest regrets was to, to never be around or never having the time to go and see a concert mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, with him being the conductor. You know, uh, I think you and I tried once to go to Edinburgh, didn't we? There was we a did. tribute concert and somehow may have been COVID. We didn't manage to, to go there. Yeah. So nothing much happens actually um, from May onwards, apart from the press and the media reacting to the the, um, the photo. I mean, with people writing or doing like two hour video. Yeah. Uh, reviews of just just a one photo, uh, which is brilliant. That's what it's all about. And of course, re recounting their favorite moments in the, the other four installments. To them, we have to wait till September 2022, the 16th of September, for the Disney Fan Club uh, Expo. Yeah. Again, so jealous of our US friends. And there they were able to show uh, footage, show moving images of moments in the film, including, and I think it was probably part of the tactic to appease minds, the de-aged Harrison Ford yes. in action scene, um, which I thought was very clever, and at the time confirmed the return of Jonathan Rice davis as Salah. Yeah, now that is interesting, the de-aged um, Harrison Ford, isn't it? Because that 
suggests there'll be flashbacks. Yes, I believe so. Mm. And mm. the teaser, I mean, it's it goes so fast. I mean, only because I watched the teaser like 20 times. <laughs> There's moments where you can see a young Harrison Ford. Yeah. And I'm guessing, you know, technology has moved on from, uh, you know, all, all the other attempts. So it, it, should be, it should be fine. Clearly, judging by the reaction, the comments on the internet, people have reacted re reasonably well mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. de-aging process. Perhaps one uh, news item that didn't get the audience to react so well was, of course, on stage, put on the spot during a question Q&A, Harrison Ford confirmed that this was the last time he would be playing the character. So again, back to this sense of nostalgia and, and melancholy that's going to accompany, I think, the, uh, the movie. Never say never again. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So the, the, the next element that built up from, you know, from that was, which is something that we reported you and I often is the Empire Magazine mm, exclusive mm. campaign. I'm guessing, Roger, there must be one per territory or per country. That must be the US stroke UK campaign. I'm assuming in different languages to have different magazines doing that where they have exclusive photos, you know, yeah, stills. Yeah. Um, they have that, the subscriber only um, art cover, which is mm -hmm. always just stunning. And then what they've done, which you and I have reported often in other kind of movie and marketing reviews, the character spotlights. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, the character spotlights we've talked about, even in recent reviews of films like Knives Out and Death on the Nile, it's just a great way to showcase the cast with beautiful imagery and beautiful um, graphics. I think what what the uh, the photos show as well is the quality of filming, mm. but also in in some of them, if we look at the Mads Mikkelsen um, photo, who plays you know the kind of ex Nazi uh, scientist uh, Voller, yeah, uh, that kind of noir effect, you know, of, like the way that is being lit and so on. Yeah, and he, and he also because he's got his um, rim uh, steel rim glasses on, circular steel rim glasses and hat. He looks a lot like the character out of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark film. Yeah, no, absolutely right. You can't help it, and I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, I know that doing we we have to make the comparison because the production companies are the same. But when they looked at you know, the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. Um, the producers confessed that they were very, very concerned about criticism of, of fan service. Yes. I've got the feeling that that's not the issue with this one. They're going to give us what we want. Yes. Yeah. That's, that hopefully is what we're going to get. So then, as you mentioned at the start of uh, this segment, we are moving on to the 1st of December, where at the same time, we have the date, yeah. we have the title, and we have the teaser trailer. Yeah and some posters as well um pointing to june the 30th yeah that poster is something that would love to have as a print we we have you know kind of uh, it's quite a close-up business mm -hmm, of uh, mm -hmm. indie um today you know or as in i think 1969 is in a cave you have some dust falling on the rim of this hat and you've got that unique calligraphy that they've used as part of the artwork and the brand positioning of june 13. so we're not going to do a, an analysis of the trailer others have done so and i've covered it you know, extensively but were there moments in the trailer when you went oh that's exciting or oh, that reminds me of something yeah it it 
it's a deliberately created to do that, isn't it? I mean, yes, teaser trailers are supposed to tease and you get element, a little element of the plot, but what they've had to do here is try to satisfy everybody. So they've had to satisfy the absolute off-the-rocker, you know, hardcore fans they've got to satisfy the the, you know, the family audience who will, who love indiana jones films but don't obsess about them like you and i would do <laughs> and they've got to attract people who've maybe never seen an indiana jones film and that's a hell of a lot of um audiences to crack in one trailer and i think they've probably got the balance right on this occasion absolutely in the green room you mentioned something to me, and I have to say, I have to quickly watch it again before recording, where you, you told me that there is a moment in the trailer, it's like a split of a second, where I think they are in a submarine underwater. Mm -hmm. But you told me, oh, that looks like a little nod to Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely could be. We then end our review of, you know, a 10 year old, a 10 days old teaser campaign, <laughs> should I say, with the last entry, Mm -hmm. In case you missed it, I-C-Y-M-I, an acronym for you. And what they've done is they've gone back to the trailer and they've taken stills from the trailer to get people to react as we've just done a moment ago. Yes. And I can see you know that happening more and more uh, you know, uh, online as well. So as I say, it's been really quite interesting to look at the, a campaign from the very, very early start. You know, It's the first time for us. So that gives us some scope to maybe make some predictions. What would you like to see next in terms of the marketing campaign? What do you think they could um, do to keep us you know, uh, entertained and enthralled for the next six months? Oh, I think it's got to be something that I um, alluded to before, some sort of game, some sort of treasure map to follow or pieces of a of an artifact to start collecting bits and pieces from all over the world and 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 putting them together into some sort of whole cube or whatever it might be uh, just or, or even you know one of those move you know the indie does this quite often that you have the map and then you have the red line going along the map <laughs> showing where the tr you know something like that something interactive that we can we can really become immersed in I would like to have that, you know, I mean, as much as it's fun to have photos, videos of things that we've missed, because that's also my minor criticism of, of the campaigns. Of course, they are US productions, although they are filming a lot in the UK, is we, 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 it's quite difficult to attend or it's quite difficult to know it's happening and so on. So something where it's not just US centric would be lovely. So online is definitely a solution. Um, perhaps a little selfishly, I would love to win memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. back to this idea of this is the end, this is this is the last one. So you know competitions and and the likes, a treasure hunt and real finding real uh, items. Um, even you know when we reviewed um, the was it the um, Batman Returns, mm -hmm. and there were some elements where you could literally vote. You could even yes. take part in a kind of meta um, elements and so on. And we we also um, reviewed the last Halloween installment where mm -hmm. people could win a Zoom call with yes. Jimmy Curtis. How about winning a Zoom call with Harrison Ford as part of, uh, of the competition? That would be quite something. Wouldn't that it? would be quite something. One of the questions I want answering as well is, where's Marion? Now, Marion's an interesting character because she was in the original Raiders of the Lost Ark film, wasn't she? And then as mm. far as I'm aware, she wasn't in the second two, but then she reappeared in the, the, the Crystal Skull, which 
you and I weren't massively keen on. And they got married at the end of it. So there's obviously a bit of a plot revelation to be made there because as far as I'm aware, she's not in the film. She's not... But to your point, she was really uh, loved as a character. Mm. You know, I, I mm. think Raiders works really well as it is because of mm -hmm. her. I mean, mm -hmm. as, as you know, um, kind of storytelling one or one, you need three characters. So you had yes. Salah, you had Marion, and Indy. You know, mm. the same. So now, nah, and I mean, if she's in the film as a as a surprise, I hope that her character is treated better than in um, yes. Crystal Skull because that yes. was just it was almost like a throwaway. Oh crap! We need to um, add her in, <laughs> you know. A cop, uh, so that, that that wasn't great. So listen, let's make a deal with our audience that we're going to go back to you know Indiana Jones Five: Dials of Destiny on the thirtieth of June, twenty twenty three. Yeah, when the movie is released, we can then look back a six month of campaign and see whether or not some of our predictions are proven to be correct. Absolutely, Pascal. Do you know what? 2023 is going to be quite an exciting year for film marketing because not only have we got Indy 5 coming out, but I've recently seen the trailer, the first trailer, as far as I'm aware, for Mission Impossible 6. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that'll probably be coming out around about the same time, perhaps a bit later. I think it's in July. So we could do a similar trick that we've just done now with Indy with, with the Mission Impossible, because that trailer as well looks absolutely intriguing. So listen, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you watch the video, whether you listened to the audio, thanks as always, for your attention and your support. If you have any comments, leave a comment on the YouTube page. Fire us a tweet. Uh, Roger Edwards and Pascal Fintoni were separately there on Twitter. You can even talk to us on SpeakPipe. And Pascal, I always forget the SpeakPipe URL, but you have oh, it memorized. That's all right. SpeakPipe.com forward slash two geeks and a marketing podcast. Fantastic. So everyone, thanks once again. And until next time, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.